Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So today, welcome again to our 11 o'clock service. Today we are in the book of Galatians, Galatians, exactly. We started this journey back in back in May, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, today we are doing something a little bit different. We'll be finishing up chapter three and getting right into chapter four. Usually the chapter divisions are good places for us to begin or end, but th- you'll see as we go through this. This is one thought that Paul has. And, and you'll see as we go through it that it's important for us to include what we see in verse 4 as well as 3. It's in your bulletins. Uh, we'll also put it up on the screen. Again, we're beginning in uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 26. And the topic of my message today is sons and heirs. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then chapter 4, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, until the time of, but we are under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But then, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ." Now, today we're going to do something a little bit different. You know, in our scriptures, I always try to, as I, as I prepare, I try to say, okay, what am I going to pull out of this scripture? I come up with maybe three points. Well, today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be answering two questions in your bulletin as well. And, and they're very profound questions. They really are when you think about it. It's what do these verses mean? And the second question is like it, what do they not mean? Now, now I, I say it's profound because... At the same time, these are, these are questions that you could honestly ask of any scripture verse. Anytime you're picking up the scripture, anytime you're picking up the word of God, you want to know what do the verses mean? Because there is a particular meaning. In fact, I always teach that verses only, scripture verses only have one meaning. The only exception to that is prophecy. Sometimes prophecy has a near-term fulfillment and a latter-term fulfillment. But most scripture has only, only one meaning. So before we get into these, these questions, what do they mean and what do they not mean, uh, I want to give you a little review. Some of us need a review. I always like having a review, so it kind of catches us up where we are. So we started this, as I said, back in, back in May, and Paul is talking to relatively new believers in Christ, and they started off really well because they understood who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, and they came into faith. They became part of the, this early church called the Way at the time. But then there was a group of Jews 
called Judaizers. Judaizers is a word that means to act like a Jew or to behave like a Jew. And the Judaizers came in and they said, no, no, you Christians, you have to also be Jewish. You have to be circumcised if you're male. You have to obey all of the Jewish laws. You have to go into the temple. You have to be, uh, be, be kosher. You have to observe the Sabbath. And, and as we've gone through this, I like going through the chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because it, 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 makes, me, it makes me make sure that I don't pick and choose. I don't just pull a scripture out of a hat and, and teach on that. I have to teach on what the Bible has for us. It's called teaching the full counsel of God. And, and Paul has been very, very insistent that these Christians stay on track. He, he's defending the gospel. He's telling them that this is the gospel, that it's, it's, it's by grace, through faith, and it's all about Christ. You can't go back to the law. You know, Paul made it very clear. He said that he and Barnabas had gone to uh, Jerusalem, and Peter and James, the other two of the apostles, gave them the right hand of fellowship, that they were with him. They encouraged Paul and Barnabas to continue on this track. So he knows that he's teaching the, the word of God. Last week, Last week, we talked about the purpose of the law. We said that Paul had to include that because he had diminished the purpose of the law, but the law had been there. Um, and, and Paul said that the law was almost like a, having a tutor. Uh, today, it's like saying that, it's, that you're, a, you're an heir, but you're just a, a child. And I told you the story of my mom and dad. You know, in our, our, my brother and I, we never thought we were in prison when we were children, but my mom was definitely the warden, right? I mean, she was the one that enforced all of the rules. And we had, you probably did as well when you were children. You had to brush your teeth. You had to go to school. In fact, going to school is this idea about being under a, a tutor. That's what Paul was saying. You know, when you were a child, you had to go to school. You could pretend that you were sick. <laughs> You know, maybe you had a stomach ache or you weren't feeling that good. But your mother, your father were going to make sure that you got to school because you were still a child. But this is what Paul's saying, that at some time you no longer were a child. And this is what happened to the Jewish people. The Jewish people were under the law until Christ came, which was the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to the people of, of Abraham. It was through Abraham's seed that not only would the Messiah come, under the lineage of David, but that all of the people of the world would be blessed. So as a result, we're no under the law, we are now under, under grace. So let's take a look at some of the scriptures today. And as we go through it, you'll see I'll keep going back to these same two questions. What does this mean and what does it not mean? So let's start off with verse 26. Verse 26 says this, it says, For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul is telling us basically that it's because of our faith in Christ Jesus. It's not because we, these Jews were born Jewish. It's not because we were born into this family, but it's because of our, our faith. The Christian faith is always a first generation faith. Did you know that? You can't be born into the Christian. You can be born into a Christian family, but you can't be born a Christian. You have to be born again a Christian. You have to come to faith. You have to understand that it was Jesus Christ that died on the cross. Paul repeats this many times, he, many times in his epistle, because this idea of being, being declared righteous uh, because of your faith is, is something new for the Jewish people. It was something new for these people because they always believed that righteousness came through observing the, the law. 
by doing the, the right types of things. And this is really kind of a, a radical statement to say that your righteousness uh, was because of Christ and not because of the law. Now, Paul is going one step further. He says the Jews consider, the Jews, remember, always consider themselves sons of Abraham, but he says, you are sons of God. Well, this is a, a pretty radical statement. I remember, David, we talked about this in, in men's Bible study, that the Jewish people were, never considered themselves truly to be sons of God. They really never considered even God to be their father. That's a rare statement in the, New, in the Old Testament. They were sons of Abraham, but Paul says, no, you are actually sons of God. Sons of God, which means we have the ability to think of God as our father, just as Jesus did. Jesus went early in the morning and he would pray to his Father. Jesus said, I only do the things that my Father shows me. We had this intimate relationship. In fact, Jesus was almost stoned. He, he walked through the crowd. People picked up rocks to stone Jesus because he said that God was his Father. But this is exactly what Paul is telling us. That's what it, that's what it means. Now, now, this is what it means, that we have this special relationship. Now, notice the second part of the verse. It said, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now, this is one of those special verses that we have to say what it means and what it does not mean, okay? This is all about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul is not referring to water baptism. Whether you were sprinkled as a child or sprinkled as an adult or baptized by full immersion, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being baptized into into Christ. It's the faith in Christ. The baptism that saves us is the baptism that's in Christ. In fact, that word baptizo, that word baptizo, that we get baptism, means to be immersed. It means to be fully, fully immersed in, in Christ. Let me tell my friends, um, years ago, we started baptizing people in the Atlantic Ocean. This was when I was at a church down in South Florida. We had a baptism in the church that they had built, but it was more fun to take them out to the Atlantic Ocean. And it was a big church. So sometimes we had as many as 100 people that would be getting baptized on Baptism Sunday. And we had a lot of pastors, so there'd be 10 pastors. There's no waiting. We were out in the, in the water. And I remember Pastor Tim and I were out there, and it was one of those Sundays in the Atlantic Ocean um, and the waves were rough. I mean, the weather was coming in. It wasn't like Hawaii where you could go you know, on, on top of the waves and stuff like that. But, but they were crashing over us. And we were only out about four or five feet uh, with this young gal. And uh, all of a sudden, this wave crashed over all three of us. Pastor Tim, this young gal, and myself. And, and she looked up at me completely wet. And she said, am I baptized? <laughs> and I said, no, you're just wet. You're just, you're just wet. But see, this is, this is what it means to be, to be baptized into Christ. The thing I like about immersion, and that's how we basically baptize, um, is we baptize with full immersion as adults. Uh, and the thing I like about baptism is that at some point, whether you're baptizing in a pool or a lake or a pond or the ocean, the person goes all the way under the water. I mean, they disappear. And out comes this creation, this new creation. It symbolizes that we've been risen, just as Christ rose from the dead. And, and I love that. You see, you can't get baptized, like you can't go swimming by, you can't go swimming by just putting your toe in the water, right? You've got to be like this girl, you've got to get completely wet. And, that, and that's what Paul's talking about. That's, that's what it's meaning. Uh, now, um, it, was, it was really, um, by the way, uh, baptism is, is, is 
is something I, I, I've taught on in the past. I'm not going to teach on it now. All I can tell you is this, is that baptism is a sign. Baptism doesn't save you. It's Jesus Christ that saves you. Baptism is a sign that you've been committed to Jesus Christ. So if you understand who Jesus is, that he died on the cross for your sins, that in the fullness of times he, he came, he died on the cross and he's coming again, that you need to take the next step. And that next step is typically being baptized. And you go under the water and then you come back out again as a sign that you've been actually baptized into, into Christ. Now, there's another saying in here. He says to, to put on Christ. You put on Christ. Those of us that have put on Christ. And again, this is another picture, the idea of putting on a suit. I remember the same church I'm talking about. We used to have a, uh, a ministry to the people that were homeless in Palm Beach. It's amazing. Palm Beach is one of those amazing counties. has some of the wealthiest people in the world. Some of the wealthy, that, I mean, that's the Donald, right? I mean, that's Palm Beach Island. I mean, that's, that's where he lives. That's where some very, very, some of the wealthiest people in the world live. At the same time, some of the poorest people in the United States live as well. Some of these sharecroppers, some of these immigrants that used to cut sugarcane and things like that. That's all in Palm Beach. And we had a ministry to people that were homeless. And the thing I loved is when they would go and have a, a big cleanup day. And they'd have people out there that would have showers for them and new clothing for them and people that would cut their hair. And it's amazing. We would take somebody that was homeless and they'd put them on with a new set of clothing and they would look like a million bucks. And that's what it's saying. You, you put on Christ. You, you, you're, you're covered now with a, with a robe, something, something different. In fact, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7, verse 9, it says this. It says, and after this I looked. And behold, a, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You see, just as we are to put on Christ, Christ will also give us this white robe, signifying that we are, we are righteous. We are made right with God. Let's continue the very next verse. The Bible says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Remember that the, the, conten the contention that Paul was talking about was between the Jews, actually the Judaizers, and the Gentiles. Now, for the Jewish people, there was only two kinds of people in the world. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile, meaning you weren't a Jew. This was not unique. I mean, the Greeks did the same thing. You were either a Greek or a barbarian. <laughs> I like that. So one or the other, and for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, this is how the world was arranged, that we were either, we were either our group or you were either for us or you were against us. You know, today, and I just got, I'm just going to mention this briefly, today many people will say that America is a, is a racist country, but we are not especially racist, nor we are especially misogynistic, meaning that we're prejudiced against women. We have laws. We have laws making this kind of discrimination illegal. It's illegal to do that. Um, for example, from 1950 through the 2000, black men and women, people of color, achieved the greatest income gains of, of any demographic. Okay, they, they gained an income. Uh, we have people of color represented in all levels of government and business. We had a, a, a person of color that was the President of the United States. Hispanics, one of those people groups included in the people of color, have an average median in household income of $56,000, not much different than the U.S. average of $65,000. 
Asians, by the way, have, have an average median income of about $100,000, just short of that. So it's difficult to say that we are a people of prejudice, intolerance, and racism. That was how the Roman Empire was organized. That's how Jerusalem was organized. That's how the Jews were organized. Now, according to William Barclay, Bar uh, William Barclay is a brilliant Scottish uh, preacher and theologian. He said one of the common prayers of a typical Jew in the temple, and Jesus actually kind of comments on this in one of his parables. One of the common prayers was this. A Jewish man would go before God and he'd say, Oh God, I am so glad, thank you, that I'm not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. This would be the prayer of a, of a Jewish man. And But Paul goes further than that, right? He says, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, we're all one in Christ, all one in Christ. Now, remember I said we were always going to go to these two questions. What does it mean? What does it not mean? Well, what it does not mean is that there are no differences. We know there are differences. Paul knew there were differences. Paul knew that about 30 to 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. So he wrote to the slaves. And he said, he said honor your slave as, as if you're working for the Lord. Okay, slaves don't disrespect your master, okay? When, when one of the slaves escaped, he wrote, to, he wrote to, uh, in his epistles and he said, uh, br bring him back and bring him back as a brother, even though he was an escaped slave. There's a, there's a difference. We know there's a difference between men and women, even though some of our politicians tell us there's no difference at all. There's a difference. Men are physically different than women. Women have babies. Men do not have babies, regardless of what you hear on the news, okay? That's, there's a difference. Now, in our ministry, in our ministry, and this is what I teach, is that the role of men and women are complementary. They're not equal but they're complementary. We, we work together as a team. My wife and I work together as a team. That's often when we say about our husband and wife, we introduce our spouse as our, as our better half. It's our better half because we, we complement each other. But let, let's continue with the text and see what it, meant, uh, what it means and what it does not mean, this next verse. Paul says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, remember, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were Abraham's seed. And they were Abraham's seed because of the, the blood. Uh, the, that DNA was in them. They were children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, but, Christ, but what Paul says is because of Christ. It's not because of your DNA, but because of who, who Jesus is. Paul is writing this because the Judaizers had said that the Galatians needed to be circumcised. They needed to pretend that they were, they were Jewish. Only then could they be considered Abraham's seed. Paul points out, however, that if they had been baptized into Christ, if they had put on Christ, then they were already heirs. They were, they were adopted into the family. I love adoptions. You know, my wife and I have adopted many dogs. We've never adopted a child, but I've always loved seeing people that adopt a child. Maybe some of you have experienced that. I mean, you bring somebody else into your household, and when you bring them in as an adopted child, they are an heir. They're just like the rest of your children. They're very, very special because you've selected them, and you've encouraged them, and you've brought them into your family. It's the same way that Paul is saying, we've been brought in to all of the promises of Abraham. Now, Let's spend a couple of minutes and talk about what these verses do not mean, okay? God has not replaced Israel with the church. 
God has not replaced Israel with the church. It, there's still a place for Israel, just as there's a place for the church. We've been grafted in, but God still has a plan for Israel. He still has a, a people that he still is, that considers very, very special. We saw this in May of 1948 when, when Israel is back in the land. That's part of the promises of God. You know, this teaching that the church has replaced Israel goes back to the third and fourth century. At that time, the, the Roman Empire became Christian, became Catholic. And, and the emperors basically said that if you're in, within Rome, you have to be part of this universal church. That's what Catholic means. It means the universal church. You all have to be, all have to be the same church. And as a result, they were seeing that this is how the blessings of God would be extended. Now, the thing was is that they persecuted the Jews. And it's very difficult to be calling the Jews Christ killers and persecuting the Jews and, and driving them out of your territory, and at the same time reading your Bible and say, well, God still has a plan for them. So as a result, they basically replaced Israel with the church. But that's not what the Bible says. For example, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, this, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. This is speaking of the Jewish people living in uh, Israel at the time of the second coming, when Jesus comes back again. So let's turn now back to the, to the fourth chapter. Like I said, we're going to bridge chapter 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now this is very, very similar to what Paul told us last week, what I taught on last week, where it said that we were under bondage, we were under, we were under tutors. It was like, again, being in school. So you had to go to school, you had to listen to your teacher, you had to do what your mother and father told you. But at some time, you were no longer in school, you had, you had graduated. You know, in many cultures, uh, there's a coming of age, right? A coming of age. The one we all know is in the Jewish, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish religion, you have a bat mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, okay? You're either a boy or a girl, and at age 13, you go through a ceremony and you become a, you become a man, right? Um, in, in, our, in our Christian churches, we have confirmations. Barney, remember you told, told me about that, that you were confirmed at what, age 13 or age 14 years old. At that time, when you're confirmed, you're considered an adult. You can start making your own decisions. So that happens. Now, in many cultures, they have debutantes. You know what a debutante is? A, a debutante is a young woman of a wealthy family, aristocratic family, typically a noble, a noble person, a person uh, uh, that's born of, of wealth. And, and back in merry old England, up until uh, Queen Elizabeth did away with it in the late 1950s, a young woman at 20, 21 years old would be presented to the queen. Uh, they would get all dressed up and they would be presented in the, to the queen in the debutante ball. Okay? And in some cultures, we, we still do that. When I was in, in Mexico, when my wife were in Mexico, unfortunately our daughter was a little bit older, but in Mexico they have the La Fiesta de Quinceanera. And the fiesta de quinceanera is when a woman, a young girl, turns 15 years old. 
Quince is a Spanish word meaning 15. And when they turn 15, they get all dressed up. It looks like they're going to a prom. It looks like they're getting married, actually. I mean, it's just this beautiful gums that they have. The thing I loved in Mexico, it didn't matter whether you were wealthy or whether you were poor. And that including the quinceañeras as well as the weddings. They were huge events. If you were wealthy, you had it at the clubhouse or you had it at your beautiful mansion and you invited all your guests and you had, you, you had mariachis and you had all of these, this music and all of this food. If you were poor, you had it in the street in front of your house. But it was still the quinceanera. It was a, it was a time. Now, Paul's point is this. Is this is what these verses mean. At some point, we mature. We are entitled to be treated as an adult. A child of a wealthy person is no different, really, than a slave until they reach a certain age of maturity. And that's what Paul is telling us as well, is that regardless of whether we were Jews or whether we were Gentiles, at one point, we're no longer under the law if we know who Christ is, because under Christ, we're no longer subject to the law of, of sin and death. Let's go on. Paul continues in verse 4. Paul says, but when the, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. You see, Paul is speaking directly to that time when we're no longer under bondage, but we are set free. Now, this phrase, the fullness of time, it literally means like when the clock strikes, uh, when, when the time is up or when the time comes. But in the Bible, the fullness of times has a prophetic feel to it because these are prophecies of God. These are promises of God. God promised that through the seed of Abraham, all of the people of the world would be blessed. In the fullness of time, Christ was born of Mary. And this is what it's talking about. It's talking about when prophecy was fulfilled, Christ had come. And God sent a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. Now, that's the event that we know. But let's spend a minute on that second part of the question, which what does this verse not mean? Were all of those, here's a question for you, were all of those that were in Israel at the time of Jesus, were they all redeemed by Messiah? Did they all become Christians? The answer is no. We know that in the early church, all of the apostles, almost all of the early disciples were all Jewish. But it was a minority of the Jewish people. It was a minority of the Jewish people. The vast majority of the people in Israel did not put on Christ. They were not baptized into Christ. They missed the boat. They continued to sacrifice at the temple, but the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. There are no priests anymore in Israel. There are no more sacrifices anywhere, anywhere in the world. If you're a Jewish person, you're just still waiting for that Messiah. And the Messiah actually had already come. So here's the other part of the question. Are all of those that call themselves Christian, that were born into a Christian home, had a Christian mom or dad, are they all redeemed? Have they all put on Christ? Are they all part? No, no. not at all. Just because you, it's because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian at all. What I teach is this, is that there's no second generation Christians. We all have to be born into it. We have to be born ourselves. All of us have to come to Christ the same way each one of us have to come to Christ. We have to acknowledge that we are sinners and that Christ has, has paid this, the, the, the penalty for our sins. In the Gospel of John, the Apostle John speaks specifically of this 
who is and who is not. It's in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. John says, he was in the world, that's Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's John, John 1, verses, uh, uh, verses 10 through 13. If you were with us at the movies when we put on uh, The Case of Christ, that was just a couple weeks ago, um, if you remember in that story, Lee Strobel is, a, is an atheist, and he's a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. And his wife comes to Christ, okay? His wife experiences who Jesus is and becomes a Christian. And this is, this is too, hard, too much for Lee Strobel to take because he's a committed atheist. So he's going to, to prove that the resurrection was false. If he can disprove the resurrection, uh, one of his friends says the whole Christianity is like a, a house of cards. It just kind of collapses. Well, he spends a lot of time and a lot of research. He flies all around the world trying to disprove the resurrection, but he finds out after a long journey that he can't do it. And he himself puts on Christ. He himself understands who, who Jesus is. He becomes a believer and he comes to his wife. I love this. The scene, he comes to his wife, Leslie, and he, and he tells her what's been happening. She had no idea that he was even searching. And he tells her, I've come to believe. I've come to believe. She shares this verse with him. She shares this verse with him as verse, uh, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And Leslie, that was her name, that was his wife's name, said it's kind of a formula. It's kind of a formula. Believe plus receive equals become. And this is what Paul's talking about, that if you believe in Jesus Christ and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, then you become righteous. You become the righteousness of God. You become accepted. You become an heir of God. You've been grafted in with all of the promises that were made to Abraham. Let's finish up with the very last two verses, verses 6 and 7 of today's scripture. Verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know, this is beautiful. For us to be able to call God Abba, Father. You've probably heard this before, that Abba, this means daddy, right? This is the, the Aramaic word for, for daddy, for father. It's like crawling up on your father's lap and putting your arms around him and saying, saying, Daddy. And it's a, it's a wonderful expression of intimacy. Jesus was able to call God his Father. In fact, he uses this word, Abba, Father, in Mark 40, 36. Uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Abba, Father, if you can take this cup away from me. And nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he uses the same word, Abba, Father. Now, I'll close with this. What do these words not mean? Well, it means that this word, Abba is a, a, a term of endearment, but it's not to be flippant. For example, are you seeing these t-shirts that, you know, Jesus is my homeboy, okay? Jesus is not your homeboy. <laughs> Jesus is the savior of the world. He died on the cross. He's the son of the living God. That is who Jesus is. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, he started off by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, God is, God is holy. And when you, when you come to God, you have to understand that he is, 
He's holy. He's altogether holy. He's, he's righteous. You know, it ends, the Lord's Prayer ends with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is, who, this is who God is, okay? Jesus is not your homeboy, but God is your father. And you can address him as Abba, Abba Father. You know, the names of God in the Bible are many. They're typically extensions of the, of the Hebrew word Y-H-W-H. There's no vowels in Hebrew. Uh, we translate that as Yahweh typically, sometimes Jehovah, even though there's no, there's no J in the, in the Hebrew language. So we have words for God. We have Yahweh uh, Jireh, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Rafi, the Lord who heals. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. Yahweh Mekishadu, the Lord who sanctifies. Yahweh Shalom, I love that one. God is our, our, our peace. And there's others. So overall, what do these verses mean? We went from 326 all the way through 47. Well, they mean that in the fullness of time, God did send his son, the Messiah, that was the promises of God. And God fulfilled that in Jesus Christ. And we who know Jesus, we put him on. If we're baptized into Christ, we are a new nature something that's never existed before. We become born again. We become an heir of God. We can call God our Father. This is exactly why Paul says, put on Christ. Put him on like God gave us a, a robe. For those of us that have been grafted in, we are the children of the promise, we're children of the King, and we are heirs. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.